brace yourself because you're about to dive into another free first hour episode of the Higher Side Chats. And we just want to let you know that whether you're looking for a companion through your paranoid insomnia, entertaining yourself through one of life's mundane activities, or trying to ward off the internal screams of all those sad, smothered souls around the office, THC is here. And you should know that every episode of the Higher Side Chats has an entire second hour for Plus members. Sign up at thehiresidechatsplus.com and you'll get years of Plus show archives, lifetime forum access, a special invite to Greg Carlwood's monthly joint sessions, MP3s of THC music, bonus episodes, four videos, and 10% off t-shirts, grinders, and whatever else ends up in the Higher Side store. It's $8 a month that you won't miss, so become a Plus member and treat yourself in these troubled times. Always action-packed and commercial-free, which means you'll unfortunately never hear my voice again. Almost surely have a plan There's clearly maybe something there Beyond the realm of man Until we've thoroughly tested Every last close-chested view Find the more you think you know The less you really do Where would we be without THC? We know the lying to us Just don't know to what degree Where would we be without THC? I said chat Greg Carwood and Company Side chatters, it's no surprise to us that the world is steeped in an esoteric soup of numbers, symbols, and rituals that are of the utmost importance to some unseen occultists of the capstone cabal. And while I tend to think that our material plane is designed to be a canvas in which these things play themselves out, it's obvious that the foxes have overtaken the henhouse, some unsavory hands are on reality's steering wheel, and most of us profane masses lack the deep and complex context to properly unpack these threads, or better yet, fight fire with fire and use them to our own advantage. But with the Empire's recent pivot, the technocratic screws tightening, and some freaky harsh space weather, many of us seem to be erratically reacting out of emotion and wishful thinking, which is understandable, but not always that productive. And if this wasn't enough, it's pretty obvious there have been many new threads added to the conspiracy cardigan in the last few years, from cryptocurrency to QAnon, and analyzing them properly also gets harder as the machine refines its tools. Well, lucky for us, we have a tool of our own, and that is the esoteric insight of today's returning guest, Michael Joseph. Of course, Michael is the man behind the Schism 206 YouTube channel where he provides a deep dive into the esoteric and symbolic sides of many interesting things. He's been here three times before, first to go over the occult religion of the elite, secondly to compare and contrast the Hidden Hand saga with his own research and findings, and a third time talking about the many esoteric elements of the JFK assassination ritual, and today he's here to help us better analyze things like cryptocurrency, QAnon, and the current state of the New World Order game plan by adding those symbolic and occult layers to our larger understanding. Here he is, the esoteric educator extraordinaire, one of the very few THC guests to be in the Four Times Club, an elite class in its own right, Mr. Schism himself, Mike, my man, welcome back as always. <laughs> Thanks, Greg. Always good to be here, and uh, it's been a while, so I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> 
It has, man. And I do love having you here. You've got a real knack for unpacking these sort of fuzzy things. You have a good attitude about it, pretty balanced approach to pretty polarizing topics. And I think that's why we vibe so well. Since we've last talked, you put out two lengthy playlists on the topics of an esoteric guide to cryptocurrency and a New World Order astrological forecast for 2018. And these are our main conversation pieces today, and both are really excellent. I figured we would start with cryptocurrency because as someone who got really into the crypto scene at first and then soured on it once I got past that initial fascination, I saw a flood of new companies last year, all with these same symbolic names and motifs. And I'm really glad you've tackled this because I think there's definitely something that should be looked at. What about you? What were your early thoughts on this new crypto trend? Yeah, the crypto thing is something that, you know, just sort of peripherally came up for me because I'm not interested in finance at all. I really don't understand it. You know, financial markets and uh, kind of like geopolitics and also science and physics and math just aren't my thing. I'm more of a psychological analyst kind of person. And I guess that's why I think the occult aspects of all this are interesting. So I kind of take a lot of those things in stride. And as they come up in different uh, conspiracy or truther circles, I, I just kind of listen and I'm like, okay, I'm aware that this is going on. And so I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention, but I did notice sort of like the buzz around it. And again, I'm looking at more of like the sociological angle and how people are responding emotionally and, you know, psychologically. So the basic vibe that I was getting is there's a lot of people who are like, oh, this is the savior. It's going to detach us from the new world order system and we're going to be free of government regulations or attached to the the dollar and, and all that kind of stuff. You know, th things that we've all looked into and know that there's, uh, you know, not a lot of good things going on with our current monetary system. And so, you know, I kind of understood that aspect. And then, of course, there's kind of the flip side of the coin where there's a bit more of the, um, I guess, the, the biblical Christian perspective where, you know, this is sort of like the, the, always the talk of the, the mark of the beast is this archetype of different technology that's, you know, leading to enslavement. And then the whole transhumanist stuff, which is something I've looked into quite a bit. You know, I, th these are kind of the viewpoints that I'm absorbing that are out there. And um, so what really, I guess, was the catalyst for me to start digging into maybe seeing if there were some esoteric undercurrents to all of this was I listened to a talk on the Sage of Quay with Sophia Smallstorm, and they just did a, a chat about blockchain and, and Bitcoin and whatever. And uh, after listening to that, I was like, you know what, maybe I should start, you know, doing what I do and seeing if there are any esoteric correlations. And as usual, you know, you find something. And with this, there, were, there was a lot of very interesting things that I could kind of corroborate or parallel with things in my research and then analyzing symbolism and, you know, what I know about astrology and tarot and things like that. Um, it was pretty easy to find a lot of correlations. And of course, you know, the argument can be made against it that, you know, a lot of this stuff is broad and it's symbolism. So it's open to interpretation. So perhaps the way I'm looking at it might be biased, might not be. I don't know, but I think it's it's good to look at these things because to me, these are red flags. That's just the only thing that I'll throw out there. I'm not telling people what to do with cryptocurrency. 
that's for them to decide what they think about it. But I think that these are questions that should be at least asked as to why there is all this occult symbolism attached to something that's seemingly secular, which is just money and exchange of information and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Well said. And you are right. Some of the symbolic elements can definitely be vague, but I think the best approach there is just stack them up because the number of them is kind of what people's criticism falls under the weight of because it's like you can give people 30 points. And if you think 10 of them are vague, okay, you still got 20 there that you got to answer. And I just think you are the perfect guy to do this and it's a good application of your skills. And so to get into cryptocurrency from an esoteric perspective, what are some of the first things to point out? Well, I think one of the most obvious kind of hidden in plain sight is just the name itself, cryptocurrency. Because if you look up crypto in the dictionary, it just means secret, hidden, concealed, occult, if you will. And then there's this other etymology aspect to it associated with like, you know, a crypt or death or like the abyss, something like that. And then you add currency to that. And if you throw that into the astrological categorization, that's the planet Mercury is assigned to all of these functions of exchange and things that are are neutral. Mm -hmm. They don't have a polarity to them. That's kind of like the Mercury and alchemy. You're going to take something that's of the, the sulfur or the salt, the male or the female. And then the mercury is kind of like the binding between them. It's, it's neutral until it is given something to interact with another side. So you throw those two things together, you just get simply occult currency. And um, I think that that's kind of just telling in itself. And you could make the case that, you know, our dollar bill is occult currency with all of the, the symbolism and Masonic stuff on there. And... You know, I, I just think that maybe is this version 2.0 of that, but it's being um, kind of rolled out to us in a way that, you know, the, the truther community is is actually ushering it in. And this gets into some of the Freemasonic concepts that I've been through. We've talked about it a bit in the past. I mentioned, you know, like the Knights Templar and how they're viewed from occult writers like Blavatsky and Albert Pike and in the chapter on the Knights Templar from Morals and Dogma, chapter 30, you know, right at the beginning, he talks about how Freemasonry profits more from their enemies than by their friends. And he uses a quote from Eliphas Levy saying, we support ourselves only on that which resists. So whoever's resisting this new world order system, they are using that as the leverage to help them out. And that's, to me, part of the ideology. You know, they think that they're the ultimate in, in truth and cleverness. And so that's how they deal with opposition. They try to make it their friend. And we talked a bit about this. This was the inspiration for the hidden hand dialogue that we did. Mm -hmm. It was this kind of idea that in that chapter of Morals and Dogma, Albert Pike uses a, a Vatican Church Catholic enemy of Freemasonry because the the Catholic Church is always at odds with these Freemasonic doctrine, at least in its traditional sense. So, you know, the whole point of the chapter is he lets the Catholic guy tell the story about the Templars and Albert Pike just interjects when he needs to step in and stop the disinfo or at least his version of disinfo that the Catholic person's giving. So the point being is the truther world, I would consider it in an all encompassing sense as some sort of enemy 
of the New World Order occultists that are obviously following these doctrines and people can, you know, debate if they think that those doctrines are what breeds this or if they are perverting it. You know, that's another discussion that's for people to figure out on their own. But the point being is that they are absolutely being utilized. And so is this an instance where they're trying to use the opposition of the truther world to actually bring in what they want? I don't know, but it is part of the doctrines and with all of the symbolism surrounding it and the idea of just cryptocurrency itself and then tie that in with the idea of the Knights Templar, you know, allegedly being the original fractional reserve bankers and usurers. And some people allege that that's part of why they were deemed heretical or that was some of the charges amongst other things. And that that whole time is very mythologized. It's very cryptic. It's hard to really discern what exactly happened with that conflict. But I think it applies to all of this crypto stuff in terms of the idea of banking and this crypto hidden occult money. Yes, that is a great introduction. And a lot of people forget about the Knights Templar and how they changed banking and accumulated their wealth. And a big part of that was encryption. That was the change they made, was introducing encryption. And that is basically what the whole thing about cryptocurrency and the blockchain is. And blockchain is another one of those words that you can break down in the same way you did cryptocurrency. And it too has some some rather limiting tonality to the terms, right? Yeah. And you got to think of the terms of the esoteric. So when you think of like crypto and death, what does death mean to some of these occultists? And I've gone through some of the writings that would tie it to Genesis 3.22, which is, you know, mankind having the knowledge of good and evil and the idea of the, the quote unquote demiurge or the, the evil creator that they don't like <laughs> mm-hmm. saying like, okay, now mankind has become like one of us and must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. And so this is what I think the 322 and skull and bones really means, because so much of this esoteric doctrine stems back to that Genesis story and how you interpret it. And I think it's a really great story to kind of put people in a position to just throw the general idea, regardless of what you think about the rest of the Bible or different interpretations of it, you know, is there a creator? Is this creator good? Or is there a, a fake creator? No, these are questions that people kind of are forced to answer. And these are the polarities of the more traditional Catholic or Christian doctrine versus the occult. And so this ties into the idea of Prometheus. You know, I've talked about this a lot in our past shows and how this giving of gnosis to mankind, it created sort of like this knowledge of death, but that this was also the polarity of life. And this gave the knowledge of ascending to this equilibrium of harmonizing the opposites. And it's part of all the occult doctrines and alchemy. And so with the ideas of like Saturn and astrology being associated with death, it's more about functions and attributes of a specific planet. And so the way that the occultists view it, it's not so much that, you know, people always say, the elite worship Saturn. I don't really buy that. I think that 
they view it as limitations and restrictions of certain mindsets. And obviously the quote unquote exoteric religion or Christianity is a restrictive mindset to them. So they want to break free of that. And so to me, that's where all of this uh, liberation through technology and the transhumanist stuff comes in. That's kind of how it's being interpreted. And so to me, this cryptocurrency kind of ties in with all of that. And then back to the Templars, you know, in the cryptology, if you go through, um, I believe it's Isis Unveiled Volume 2, Madame Blavatsky includes some of the uh, cryptology codes and how they all worked. And then there's this conflict that arises out of that that they talk about between the, the Templars and the Jesuits. And that's kind of like a whole another topic in itself. But I do find it very interesting that it all kind of stems back to the same sort of battle of these different mindsets about the nature of God and what that actually is. And now it's kind of arising up into money and the idea of bypassing government, which is, you know, a restriction or a limitation that's often associated with the quote unquote demiurge. So that to me is what the factors at play. And if people want to rearrange those different viewpoints in whatever way they want to, you know, that's for them to decide. <laughs> right on. And yeah, with Saturn, I think my thinking on that has definitely evolved from where it was probably six, seven years ago in the early days. And I don't think they worship Saturn per se, but it seems like more like maybe they invoke its qualities for magical reasons, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And, you know, you mentioned attributes and themes, and I really do like looking at the cryptocurrency scene from that perspective. I mentioned the blockchain thing. Well, like you've said in the presentation, block is kind of like that Saturnian lead, the cube, the material world, profane, and chain. I mean, like you also said, Prometheus, that's what bound Prometheus. So even blockchain, cryptocurrency, it's kind of hidden in plain sight. But then there's also this aspect of mining. And it's like, we're not really mining anything. This is kind of just a term to kind of invoke the old ways of doing things or the old ways to extract value is to mine it out of the earth. But this is all just digital. And they still use that term mining, which somewhat invokes slavery and working for the system to chisel out some wealth. I mean, I thought that was a pretty good breakdown because tonally it's definitely there. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll, I'll talk about that. I kind of uh, <laughs> went off on a tangent, but the nah. yeah, the whole blockchain thing. Again, looking at it from the esoteric understanding, what you were talking about, having this uh, association with Prometheus and the whole point of Prometheus, again, from the, the Blavatsky camp, especially she writes extensively about him, is that it's this divine spark, the flame, the torch of Prometheus. And this this flame we can get into later with like the logo of steam it and whatever you know, that that is their understanding of the the active force of creation that is buried within matter. And that's kind of the idea of digging in deeper into nature to extract this divine creative force and, you know, yield it to your will or whatever you want to call it. And so this gets into Gnosticism, you know, the that this was trapped in matter by the not so nice creator God. And, um, this is the plight of Prometheus. He has this 
true secret doctrine. It's the, the intellect of an adept or an initiate who has the gnosis. But by having that, the quote unquote profane who are attached to the material world or I guess a, a religious perspective that they think is still within the confines of limitation, you know, that's all encompassed in the symbol of the devil card in tarot. That's basically what it represents. And that's why the, the devil, you'll see him with the, on at least some of the cards that I'm familiar with, he has the Saturn glyph on his hand. And that's kind of like saying five sense reality is all that there is. I'm your God. And that gets into the whole, you know, Gnostic woodcut, the Flammarian woodcut that people will use when they want to look at the, uh, <laughs> the whole flat earth argument where the, the Gnostic is looking outside the little dome at this whole infinite universe. And they even use this motif in Neil deGrasse Tyson's Cosmos. And they were talking about Giordano Bruno and, and breaking free and all this stuff. So that is the, the plight of the initiate to be chastised by the profane. And that's what the, the vulture, or the eagle, or whatever bird is eating the liver every day, that's an allegory for that. So interestingly enough, we have that figure at Rockefeller Center. So in my opinion, the Rockefellers are saying that they're Prometheus and that they're moving and shaking the world with their quote-unquote philanthropy, and us profane don't really understand their plight. And so <laughs> it's kind of interesting how when you throw that symbology in it, you wonder what they're really thinking about uh, what they're doing with the world and, and how they're leading these things, uh, leading humanity through these cycles. And this all gets back to the hidden hand stuff that we've talked about before. And so, um, you know, and he's bound to the ring right uh, at the Rockefeller Center and there's all these zodiac symbols. So, you know, the, the idea of astrology and, you know, your personality, your um, earthly incarnation nature that's also binding you in a way, uh, according to these philosophies. And, you know, astrology, when you look at it from that standpoint, is really geocentric. You know, it's looking at you and your own personal life on Earth and how you relate to everything. And so these are all seen as binding. So, you know, this, this gets into the ideas of where all this technology is going and, and the idea of using the profane in order to build up a pyramid or build up a, a babble or whatever. And you can see this motif. I'll, I'll kind of transition into something else I covered in the series. If you look at the, some of the old EU posters, this idea of uniting Europe under one tongue, one voice. And then they use the, uh, famous tower of Babel painting by, um, oh, I forget the guy's name. It's like Pieter Bruegel, I think. I, I maybe I'm mispronouncing his name, but he was an artist that, made this Tower of Babel painting. And then, of course, the Parliament building of EU and Strasbourg mimics this design. So obviously, in the Orthodox or traditional Catholic world, the Tower of Babel was not a good thing. But they're promoting it like it's this great thing. You know, everything's unified in this quote unquote rebellion against the Demiurge or whatever. And so it's interesting how they have a bunch of people on the EU poster with blockheads. But the one baby in the picture has a circular head, you know, like circles and spheres. We talked about that related to the compass and the divine nature. And then the block nature being of the square. And that's the five sense reality, the profane, the earthly realm. And that's the point of the occultist is trying to merge the spiritual and the temporal and this grand unity of spirit and matter. Blavatsky talks about this quite a bit in her writings. And so you just throw that all together and you just wonder with all this block symbolism 
And then they had this luminescent, illuminating light around all these logos, illuminating that darkness or illuminating that profane square mind of thinking. You know, I'm just saying this is all consistent with how a lot of these esoteric doctrines present things and it could be easily applied. And if you analyze the symbolism, I mean, this is kind of what I get from it and what they seem to be evoking with it. Mm -hmm. I'm right there with you. And you always talk about the esoteric and the exoteric meaning of things. And we know this is how the controllers think. And yet it's coded right into the structure of cryptocurrency with the whole public and private keys aspect, right? Yeah, that that thing is <laughs> it's pretty interesting because. So many things are built upon these two different pillars, you know, just like our political system, um, the left and the right paradigm. But the hidden hand is at the middle pillar, you know, controlling both where the profane see, you know, this uh, this left right battle. And then while we're all arguing about certain things in politics in the USA, all the foreign policies seem to stay the same no matter who's in office. So that's like that international global hidden hand. And so if you take it to the the symbology and the functioning of cryptography and the blockchain keys and stuff like that, again, I'm not an expert in how all this stuff works, but when people try to explain these things and I look at these diagrams, there's a lot of cubes involved. And then there's, like you said, this uh, private and public key. So again, you think private, esoteric, public, exoteric. And this is similar to concepts in astrology, you know, your private house in astrology is the fourth house your public house is the 10th house and the the cusp that divides that marker is the nadir or the imam kweli which is the uh part of the ecliptic you can't see that's you know the allegory is it's the the furthest into the earth or whatever it's the and then the, the up in the heavens the midheaven that's the highest point in the heavens so there's all these things built into it with the occult methodology of things whether it's astrology or um just kabbalah or whatever but so it, it's built into the technology itself for whatever reason you know it goes back to again the the, the templars making different encryptions and encoding for currency and then that's what uh all the blockchain stuff does and you know i have a lot of diagrams that i i use in the series so people can go through that and look at some of the depictions that they give us and there's a couple that are interesting. There's like the secret key. And then there's the same key that, you know, does the encryption and decryption. So there's a one unifying key and then two separate ones. And then in tarot, the tarot cards themselves are called keys. I think the keys to the ageless wisdom is what uh, Paul Foster Case calls his book, the tarot. And um, these are like the, the 12 keys of Basil Valentine and Gnosticism. And this is part of what we talked about with the JFK assassination, this transformation of the king. There's all these tarot cards that correspond to it, and they're, you know, called keys. So this idea of the key is pretty important. The other aspect of it is if you look at the the Vatican and St. Peter's Basilica, there's a, a giant keyhole that the building in the St. Peter's Square is built around. And then below that, there is a cross, and then there's... Um, kind of like a block or a square design around the cross. And there's this um, dome. So there's a lot of interesting esoteric shapes. And then if you think about the block or the cube that folds out into a cross, and these are the esoteric associations, the idea of Christ, he's unlocking the secrets or unlocking 
the uh, profane understandings and giving you the esoteric understandings. Now you can look at this in a more Orthodox or Catholic Christian way. You can look at it in a more Gnostic Christian way. But either way, the, the whole idea is the same. It's just the attributes of what you think Christ is. And so in the, the Vatican, if you look at the overhead, there's a design built into the keyhole uh, that's an eight-pointed star, but you can also derive a six-pointed star. If you look at the glyph, I know I'm kind of getting a little technical here with some of the astrology, but the comet Chiron is seen as important in more modern astrology. And it has, it has all these associations to the idea of Christ. And even Prometheus, because Chiron is a centaur who sacrificed himself or put himself in the place of Prometheus. So there's this sacrificial component to it that is um, you know, a selfless sacrifice. So obviously this ties into the archetype of Christ, however you look at the figure or the person, you know, God or an initiate, whatever you want to say, it's, there's still this theme. And so I, I think it's interesting that the original Chiron glyph looks almost exactly like a design you can put in the Vatican. And if you add in the eight-pointed star and you look up the astrology glyph of Juno, that's actually the same glyph. So you can put the Chiron glyph and the Juno glyph in astrology basically into the design at St. Peter's Basilica. Now, Chiron was discovered in 1977, allegedly. So obviously the Basilica was built way before that. So I don't know why they integrated that glyph to represent it. But it's very interesting, this idea of, of keys. And if you look at some of the blockchain and crypto depictions of this cube and unlocking it, they have the inner and outer key and they have it folded out into a cross. Also, you think about the word Chiron. If you apply that to the, the Vatican Cairo depiction, the XP, which represents Christ, you know, you can see Chiron, Cairo. There's a phonetic association and you know how they love to kind of do that using a, a double meaning right and using words like we talked about oswald and oz and crowley land even though it's an os and an oz if you're phonating it there's something important about phonating words in the occult and the vibration of the voice and so you combine all these things together and it's pretty obvious that there's a lot of religious iconography built into these cryptocurrency keys so to speak absolutely yeah there is I think that's a great breakdown of the key stuff, and a lot of it does seem intuitive. Like, I don't know how else you would make a digital currency without some kind of keys. So, you know, it's hard to say that that specifically is suspicious, but you're here to look at this from a synchromistic symbolism perspective rather than a technical or engineering one. And this stuff does seem like it is very synergistic with the occultists school of thought. And that's kind of the point here. And we talked about the Knights Templar a little bit, and people know that they're associated with Malta, or at least I think they do. But how is cryptocurrency also related to Malta? Yeah, um, this is a tough thing because a lot of these societies, you know, the Knights of Malta, the Knights Templar, the Knights Hospitaller, there's a lot of mystery with it. And again, if you think of this idea of infiltrating an institution that would be seemingly more Orthodox Christian, and then the idea of the, the occult trying to sort of take back its symbols because, you know, the, the, the merging of Christianity with paganism by Constantine, this is a big debate on what actually happened there. And so to me, from what I understand, the occultists kind of view it as, well, our pagan symbols were hijacked by Christianity. so 
we have the right to them. And so that might be kind of what drives them to try to infiltrate these institutions. And then the Christians will say, well, we exercised the bad things about that and we put Christ at the the center of it. And then the Protestants will say, well, no matter what, it's Babylon because you're mixing wheat and tares. So these are kind of like a lot of the theological viewpoints as to how to view that. So when you bring that to the modern day Knights of Malta, Knights of Columbus and, and, you know, Vatican outreach, it's kind of hard to tell exactly what's going on, but it is interesting how there is this, uh, cryptocurrency company called Binance. I think it was a, a Chinese based company or an Asian one. Yeah. And it was the largest exchange and it was, it moved to the island of Malta. And at least if you read Blavatsky's doctrines on it, she says that there's an intrinsic connection to the idea of the true Templars, the ones she likes and thinks are the good guys, the, the Johannite Gnostic occultists. She says that they meet in secret at Malta every 13 years and 13 in number. And there's all these 13 motifs attached to it. And so it's pretty interesting how you look at, you know, the modern popes like Pope Francis and the Ratzinger guy, they, they'll meet with Malta members where they have six knights on each side where they're the 13th figure. So they're, you know, there's a 13 invoked sort of a ritual iconography kind of way. And then the, you have the idea of Malta being there and then having <laughs> the largest crypto exchange move to this tiny Island that stems from a lot of uh, these Templar occultists and the original, you know, the OG fiat currency guys and, you know, having Blavatsky endorsing this all being synonymous. I don't know. It's, it's pretty strange. And then the Vatican, there's articles about it exploring Bitcoin and blockchain. And of course, it's always under the universal Promethean philanthropy of eradicating human slave trade. And I found it ironic that the, the article I found was on the 5th of November, the whole Guy Fox thing. Huh. But they're in it. And then there's also British royal family connections to um, cryptocurrency. Apparently, Prince Harry and the Meghan girl, I don't really keep up on the <laughs> royal family much. But when they got married, uh, they were gifted a new cryptocurrency called the Royal Coin. Yes. So, you know, the British family, they're, they're inventing their own cryptocurrencies for royal weddings. And then so you couple that with the current day Vatican influence. I, I think that that's kind of kind of interesting if we're uh, breaking free from this British Empire Masonic system and the global international occultists. Why are they all all these institutions that now seem to be promoting the, the globalization? Why are they all investing in crypto or open to it? You know, right. Absolutely. And it's sort of like. The same pattern we saw with the internet, it seems like a bait and switch, you know, they're, we're told it's this new beacon of freedom, this new gift from the gods, so to speak. And as you note in the series, W translates to the sixth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So every time we're typing www dot, it's 666. And all the symbolism of it is a web or a net around the globe. It's very one world government-y. And... Binance moving to Malta is a pretty big deal. Malta is a small island. This is a fiat to crypto exchange. The biggest there is. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's one of the biggest. I've used it. And it's almost like once it got big, then they put it in place 
So you wouldn't be skeptical from the beginning, but now it's the damage is done. And now it's like repeating the cycle of the Templars. It's just very strange that these kind of codes and signals would be embedded in this stuff because that's what they do is they use codes and symbols, I think, in part to let others know who's behind what, as well as to invoke certain magical properties and all that stuff. But I guess talk to us about some of the exchanges and coins that evoke these ancient symbols, the kind of stuff we see in corporate logos all the time. Because last year in particular, there was just an explosion and outpouring of exchanges and apps and different coins. Like you mentioned, the royal family got their own. But this is where we're seeing the real soup of these symbols, right? Yeah. And um, I'll kind of combine that question with what you touched upon before, the idea of like mining slaves and things like that. If you look at a lot of the Bitcoin logos, you'll often see like a miner. You know, obviously, that's an allusion to mining Bitcoin, but it is kind of interesting that there's this more Gnostic flavor to it where before you talk about physical mining, five cents reality mining. Well, now you're mining digital stuff that is just in the ether, right? The, the, the World Wide Web. Yeah, it, things manifest on a screen, but like how is all this stuff stored? Yeah, it's in computers, but like there's this sort of like airy quality to it there's a metaphysical quality to it. And so if you apply that to some of the the Gnostic ideas of, you know, mining scripture for secrets, right? Occult secrets. Well, now you're mining occult currency. And there's some interesting logos. Again, people would have to go through some of the videos in the series. There's only seven videos, so it's not a really long series. It's not like occult science with 90 videos. But there, there's one that's interesting where there's this this dude who is in this office in the cubicles, right? The cubes and everyone's in their black cubicle. But instead of being part of that rat race, the corporate cube, he's digging into the ground and he's mining, you know, the gold underneath it, right? And then think about the idea of using the profane. It's 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 a hierarchical system, but it's disguised as being liberty and equality for everybody, right? And so you're using the people with the same mindset to build the babble, so to speak. And it's all under this uh, liberation, right? I mean, that's kind of the whole, uh, I guess, the people who support the um, the anarcho-capital libertarian stuff, a lot of them are really excited about the crypto thing. It's pretty interesting that a lot of those ideas do stem back to uh, Masonic doctrines, French Revolution, American Revolution, and the, the Founding Fathers, and deism and stuff like that. And, you know, think of that what you will, but so there's there's these two different versions of slaves. This is like kind of like being almost like glamorized. Yeah. And you're talking about like the web and uh, some of the iconography of that. I mean, yeah, the, the 666 thing, a lot of people have mentioned that that's not anything new. But, um, you know, think about the World Wide Web. And then you bring it back to like Bohemian Grove and the whole weaving spiders come not here. As far as I understand it, this goes back to a Midsummer Night's Dream Shakespeare play. And of course, Shakespeare is kind of one of these important figures. So all these occultists, people think, you know, Francis Bacon actually wrote his stuff and he's this really cool dude, Rosicrucian things going on. And then there's also this mythology of Athena or Minerva and Arachne. And Arachne is challenging the gods, trying to spin her own web. And the gods, you know, basically say, fuck you, you can't compete with us. And Minerva 
and the owl, this is their wisdom goddess. And a lot of people will relate it to Moloch and ancient Old Testament human sacrifice. I think that that's another sort of smokescreen for some of these things. And, you know, just uh, if you're going to challenge the Illuminati occultists and their secret doctrines and their whatever, their Promethean intellect, are you going to end up like Arachne and basically damned and uh, turned into some ugly creature? while they spin their own web around the world. So it's almost like anybody who wants to challenge their power with a new viewpoint, they're kind of viewing them as the gods in a way. And you can see it with like the UN, their logo. People will make a lot of fuss about the whole flat earth motif supposedly built into it. But, you know, it is kind of like a big web and there's 33 sections and it's targeting the north and the north is a direction of darkness and ignorance and Freemasonry. And again, this idea of enlightening the ignorant is this how they view it? Like, oh, we're so awesome that we're going to trick all the profane people into following us and our doctrines because, you know, we owe it to them. It's just like the hidden hand. You know, we're doing you a favor. I wonder if that is the mindset because that seems to be what's invoked with a lot of this symbolism. And then there's this idea of a free decentralized Wi-Fi powered by blockchain, a world Wi-Fi, you, you know, world Wi-Fi, WW66, you know, and they have all these interesting as above, so below logos, icons, and that's obviously a big part of Freemasonry. And you see in all these icons, there's like chains around the world, but it's all illuminated, right? You know, it's, it's, uh, I guess, uh, perhaps darkness disguised as light or something like that. And, um, you know, before I go on, it's easy for me to go off. I'll get into the Bitcoin symbolism, whatever, but I don't know if you had any uh, reflections or questions on all that. No, man, this is all really great. I think your comments about the illuminated chains around the world are pretty spot on. It's not to say that our current financial system isn't bad. It's not to say that you can't make money in cryptocurrencies. I know I personally did want this to be a currency revolution, but we should be measured about how we examine these things, and these motifs and symbols are important. Should it be this synergistic if it wasn't all coming from these dark places? That's something we should all consider. But let's definitely keep it going. Okay, well, Bitcoin, obviously, that's like the cryptocurrency that's most popular and kind of started it all. And, uh, you know, a lot of people did pretty well with it, as far as I understand. And then there was this big crash. And, you know, I just wonder, are some of these manipulations, are they really much different than, you know, stuff that goes on in Wall Street? Again, I'm not a financial expert, so I wouldn't know. But just intuitively, these are questions I ask myself. But the actual logo of Bitcoin and some other alternate versions that they throw out there has a lot of ties to uh, the magician card in tarot. And I have a, a video that kind of goes into this where if you apply the understanding of the tarot card and its Hebrew values and astrology, uh, it does correspond quite well. There's one Bitcoin logo where obviously there's the letter B and then there's two pillars built into it. And then Oftentimes, there's a figure eight or the infinity symbol attached to it. And then they'll usually have some sort of above or below motif built into it. And obviously, it's the idea of currency, right? And so if you look at the magician card in tarot, it's the card for the planet Mercury. And Mercury is, you know, ruling the functions of currency in exchange. And it's a planet that's most associated with the element of air. If you think about air, it's moving things side to side. It's exchanging things. It's very quick, rapid, and it's, 
you know, the air, you can't see it. So it's the idea of like data being transferred. You're not seeing it happening. These are all kind of the esoteric applications to it. And it works in the mental plane. And so when people talk about crypto trade and commerce, these are all very mental functions. It's all about uh, dollars and cents. There's not really emotion that's supposed to be put into it. And that's what we kind of talked earlier about Mercury being a neutral vibe, so to speak until you apply it with an emotion or something like that. So, And then the other aspect of it is if you see in the card, I, I like to use the BOTA deck, Paul Foster Case's deck. I don't know, for some reason, I, I think it does a good job of representing a lot of the esoteric you know, worldview. The magician gives the as above, so below hand pose, right? So you'll see that in a lot of these logos. And he has the infinity sign over his head, the, the little infinity figure eight halo. And so you'll see that in the Bitcoin logos. Oftentimes, you'll see sometimes an above below motif. There's this world Bitcoin trader icon where they have uh, arrows, but it looks kind of serpentine. And there's two arrows eating each other. So it's kind of like the Ouroboros and the uh, magician has the Ouroboros around his waist. That's the the active force that drives magic, according to the occultists, that drives the will. And... Again, it's all based on perception, the mental plane, right? How does the stock market work? Well, when people perceive that there's danger with this or that, you know, the market will crash. It's all based upon perception and security, but how much physical reality is there? And then how does cryptocurrency work? How is it backed? And it's based off of like, you know, a lot of these perceptions and uh, I guess uh, the the security that the blockchain is coding things correctly and whatever. And again, I people will probably be like, no, it's not what it's about. I don't know. Like this is kind of what I hear from people, but it's it's all in that plane of consciousness. And then Mercury is the planet that rules the sign of Gemini, and Gemini is the two pillars, right? So you have the two pillars built into Bitcoin. And then the Hebrew letter Bet is assigned to that tarot card or the planet Mercury, and that is equivalent to the English letter B. So you have the B. And then you have the Gemini pillars and all of the functions of Mercury built into it. And so really, to me, the Bitcoin logo is just this alternate hieroglyph for the tarot card of the magician in esoteric philosophy. Yeah, man, I think it is a dead ringer for that symbol. I think when you methodically lay it out like that, it makes a lot of sense. And even with these other companies and coins that have popped up, thousands of them now, we have Things like Eden Mining and Genesis Mining launching something called the Logos Fund. And it's like, if this was all organic, you wouldn't expect to see this invoking of these ancient concepts. That's the elite that do that. Regular people in Silicon Valley trying to make a new cryptocurrency, they don't care about Eden and Genesis. At least I wouldn't think so. Yeah, for sure. I'll move into that, but just another couple additions, you'll see a lot of logos with a brain, the human brain that's in Bitcoin ads. And of course, that's alluding to the mental functions, right? The mental plane of Mercury. Sometimes you'll see a male and female walking the two pillars. And then the idea of cryptocurrency, um, we were talking about letters corresponding with numbers. If you do the the first letter, CC, you know, everyone knows it's the third letter of the English alphabet. So it's a 33. And then you'll have like cryptocurrency conference or crypto consciousness conference. So you're doing a, a 333. That's an important number. And that's one of the, the JFK license plate numbers you can derive. And 
you know, we talked about that in the last discussion. So there's a lot of 33s that can be built into the, all of these, you know, Cs floating around. And then there's this also this world component to it, like the World Trade Center. And obviously, there's a lot of connections to astrology with the planet Mercury and the 9-11 astrology. You've had, I think, Austin Kopic on talking about that before. I've done some talks with Sage Aquay on that. But, you know, this idea of the world, right, and the tarot card of the world, that's the, the final unity that represents the kind of like the collective consciousness. And so um, you throw that into it and there was this crypto world conference. They always want to combine Mercury with the world. And um, it was held on March 22nd, right? 322, Genesis 322, uh, the knowledge of good and evil. And ironically, there was a Gemini hedge fund service that was attached to it, a company called Celsius or excuse, yeah, Celsius. And their logo is a, a C, but it's very serpentine looking. Bloomberg, Wall Street Journal, Coindesk, all of these major people are at the, the Times Square, right? The square. And then you're illuminating that square with all of these crypto, quick, Lucifer enlightening concepts. And uh, their logo for that is like an above and a below on the world, right? So there's one component. And then if you want to bring it into the religious stuff, kind of the logos and companies that you just said. It is pretty interesting that, um, yeah, th there's so much built into just from me looking up different blockchain and crypto companies, there's Eden Chain and in their logo, they have these three pillars that look just like the JFK triple underpass that goes into the Tree of Life design. We talked about the triple pillars that were built into the old World Trade Center Twin Towers design going up. And there's also a pier in Sandy Hook Bay that has this triple uh, pillar built into it. Obviously, Sandy Hook Bay is not where the Sandy Hook incident took place, but there's an interesting namesake and you find the trident there. Um, so Eden Chain, they have that logo. And then there's um, Bitcoin Millennium. So this idea of the millennium in Revelation 20, the economists back in uh, the 80s said, get ready for a world currency. And they have like kind of like the Bitcoin colors on a coin with a above below motif and the number 10. You think about like the 10 Sephiroth and the Tree of Life. Everything is unified into one with this phoenix rising from the ashes out of the burning fiat money. And the phoenix, the phoenix has a tarot and occult association to the that divine flame of Prometheus. It, it's associated with the judgment card in tarot, which is given the Hebrew letter Sheen, which is the triple flame letters. This is all part of that divine flame, divine spark, I guess, esoteric theology. There's a company called Sophia TX. So, you know, Sophia, the Gnostic Sophia and Christ, and then the whole idea of her birthing the Demiurge, Yaldabaoth and all that kind of stuff. You can throw that in there. There's a company called Obelisk that makes mining machines. There's Eden Mining, and they have a, an apple, you know, obviously the, the Gnosis fruit with it's uh, being bound by Bitcoin in a web. Genesis mining again, looking in secrets in Genesis. What happens when you mine Genesis for esoteric secrets? Well, you look at the Garden of Eden story in a different way, right? The secret doctrine way. And then, like you said, you had the, the Lagos Fund stemming from this uh, Genesis mining company. So the idea of Christ unlocking the secrets of the Old Testament in occultism, that's the Lagos revealing the mining secrets in Genesis. And then the last one is the triple flame I just talked about, the Hebrew letter Sheen, but that's the logo of Steemit. 
essentially. You can see logos of that on top of the, uh, the square black base of it, illuminating the darkness. So a lot of religious symbolism. And for people who are accustomed to the idea of the, the separation of church and state and the monetary system is just, you know, this, um, secular thing. And then you have all of these biblical references. I mean, one must find that strange. I don't care who you are. Absolutely. And the aspects where you were talking about Steam, I think, are some of the most interesting in the series because with all the censorship going on, everybody's trying to find alternatives and talking about this and that. And ultimately, I think all these companies are private companies. They don't owe anybody anything. And once they've planted their flag on censorship, it's up to individuals to have the responsibility and the discipline to abandon those platforms instead of just raising their fist and asking them to let Alex Jones back on Spotify. No, it's not going to happen. You're going to have to go to the website now. But that can happen to anyone. And Steam is one of these platforms that people are like, oh, just go there. And I think we both tried it out a little bit and then we kind of stopped updating pretty soon after. Talk to us about, I guess, not only the symbols we see in Steam, which we already talked about, but kind of your thoughts on just the platform overall, because there's a lot going on there. Yeah, um, I was excited about it. And, you know, there was that whole censorship purge back at the very beginning of the year, which, you know, it's it's kind of ironic. It it was kind of like a, a trauma based mind control thing, if you look at it. And that's you know, back in the early 1900s, the, the stock market crash, it was all based on panic, right? The, the Greek god Pan. Yeah. And we talked a lot about that, the panic of Daily Plaza and all those associations to that. And so, you know, I mean, it happened to me. I got scared that, oh, shit, you know, I have all these subs on my YouTube, but I have nothing else for my content. So I started censoring at least my podcast because I talk about more controversial stuff on that than I do in usually the occult science and stuff like that. So I thought, hey, you know, I'll try Steam it out. And that's where a lot of people were saying, you know, go there. That's the the, the decentralized way of disconnecting. And I found that just as my personal experience, if other people have had a good experience on Steam it, I'm not trying to negate that. I'm not trying to talk shit or anything. I'm just saying for me personally, I was, wasn't really all that impressed. I, I guess a lot of it was just a lot of crypto spam, a lot of weird bots coming and saying like, hi, I'm a bot. I've uploaded your posts. I'm like, oh, at least they're being honest that they're a bot. (laughs) You know, sometimes I get these interactions. I'm wondering if it's a human or not. Or people are just kind of trying to say hi and, and, you know, but they really want you to go check out their channel. So they give you a generic thing. I get all these people, you know, oh, welcome to the community. And like, I look at their page and everything they're posting is, you know, quote unquote, in the matrix. Now they could be somebody looking at truth or content, but I'm just like, did they really look at what I was writing? Because I don't think that they would uh, be down with, uh, you know, looking at some media events as perhaps hoaxes or stuff like that. So there was a certain element of that going on for me. And then just a lot of people just really going crazy about cryptocurrency. I just I felt like I was in a giant ad for crypto. And as long as you were talking about crypto, like it was the best thing ever. Like, I don't know, everyone seemed to, you know, be shaking each other's hand. And so that was kind of my experience with it. And then I have a friend. He has a channel called Activist News. And, you know, he talks about a lot of controversial things, Zionism and alternate World War II uh, revisionist history. So, you know, you kind of put a target on your back when you're talking about those things. But he ended up getting censored on Steemit by 
some guy who called himself a professional flagger. And he he even wrote in a post that he goes around and he flags Steemit posts that are um, questioning climate change, promoting any alternate cosmology or earth shapes, promoting anything that's alternate of history, anything like that. So they have their own sort of inquisition on Steemit. And it doesn't get rid of it. The blockchain doesn't eliminate your content, which is kind of the selling point, right? It can't be deleted, but people will flag it and then your post gets censored. So people have to go through an extra step. It's kind of like on YouTube when you get a message that says, oh, this video has been flagged for sensitive content. Do you really want to proceed? And now they're giving you a Britannica definition below of whatever you're looking at. So if you look at something on Freemasonry on YouTube, all of a sudden there's the official definition from Encyclopedia Britannica. So it's it's not completely censored, but you have to go through these extra steps to get to it. And that's what he was running into on Steemit. And so I'm just like, well, shit, this is kind of like the same thing. Granted, yeah, your stuff will live on. But then at the same time, you can't edit anything. And so some of my concerns, it might be a little overly paranoid, but people like Max Egan have talked about the, the online social credit system in China. And you wonder, well, if my stuff lives on on a blockchain and I can't go in and edit it or delete it, might I be hunted down if there's some kind of doubling down on the censorship and oh, you posted content about questioning Sandy Hook. Maybe you can't get a driver's license now or something like that. So for me, I just kind of withdrew altogether. I'd like to rather see where all this stuff goes and take a step back. That's my own personal opinion. But, you know, when you think about Steemit itself, it's kind of got this, this elite class built into it. You know, there's the whales and then there's the minnows. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, well, interesting. Like, is that, you know, you're going from, the oligarchy that's the elite global cabal and everyone's talking about how you know they're at the top and they're keep getting more and more detached from the lower level but you know steemit is this free place that's doesn't have that you know you don't have to deal with that but then there's this whale class that kind of runs everything and so i don't know man it it, it seems a lot of the fundamental things going on there seem counterintuitive and i just got out and again some people really love it but for me those are just all kind of red flags. And then you combine that with these cryptocurrency logos and having this Hebrew Kabbalah built into it raises some questions for me. It absolutely does. And I agree with you about the just the strange disconnect I was finding there. And it's already heavily using upvoting bots and bot followers and the kind of stuff that if you look at Reddit, like the worst aspects of it are already in Steam at these early stages. So it really just turned me off from it as well. And, and I guess that's it. Man, I appreciate another fun-filled show with you. I also really enjoyed the astrological reading you did for me. I've been through a few different readings and birth chart breakdowns at this point, but you clearly put a lot of time and work into the ones you do. I know you've started to open up the shop for business a bit more recently. Would you like to encourage people to maybe get a reading of their own? Yeah, if people are interested, they can uh, just email me. I'll give you the email. You can throw it in the show notes. And, uh, you know, I do still have a lot of time obligations for other things. But if people are generally flexible, usually I can fit something in within the month. And, um, yeah, just uh, people can... Just contact me and just ask about it if they like, ask a few questions. And, you know, everything that I've kind of talked about here, I think it's pretty obvious sort of where I'm coming from with it and my approach. So people 
like that and they, they resonate with it or they want to know more about it, they can hit me up and people can talk about whatever they want. You know, they can get into an issue that is, is deeper for them or they can just kind of get into, you know, more of the, the conspiracy stuff and how it relates to them. I have a person that every month he schedules a reading and we talk about some astrology, but it's kind of like a, a therapeutic session for him to get what's off his mind when looking at a lot of this conspiracy stuff. And so, you know, it's it's kind of taken on its own shape and I'm enjoying it. And everyone I talk to seems to be uh, pretty happy with it. And, you know, I try to have the, the approach where I try to address issues that ask questions that might be, uh, you know, demanding a, a more honest answer. But I, I do so in understanding and I try to I don't, I don't try not to be judgmental about people because I fucked up a lot of things in my life. And I try to share stories where I was doing this or that. And I had to realize that, you know, this wasn't working or maybe this is a better way to approach this or that. And so it's kind of hard to describe exactly what it is. It's different for everybody. And that's what I like. It's everybody's individual situation. But I can apply some of my own personal, I guess, ethics to it that I I I can stand by and how it manifests in all these unique ways. I think it's, it's fascinating. And I, I might feel a little tired after readings, but I feel good. I feel happy that maybe people have gotten something out of it that will allow them to figure things out on their own without me really saying anything other than just being a guide, you know, going through different parts of the chart and suggesting, you know, maybe there's a tension here or there, maybe not. Let me know how you feel about it. How might this manifest in your life? Put the ball in their court and basically just be somebody be, be like a limo driver if you want me to take you somewhere I'll, I'll drive you if you want me to just go wherever it's going to go and you can just look around and see you're ultimately in control but you're kind of going to me for just some of the different ways of looking at it and different perspectives in which to view the lens of your life so to speak i love it and you don't need a phd to talk to someone and be helpful these are trying times so we should all keep that kind of stuff in mind. Again, love the work you do. It's an impressive body of work, and I like to see people appreciating it. So hopefully you get a lot of reading requests. I'm sure that would be a fun and positive way to earn a living. So I hope it picks up and stays consistent. But also remind the people about the podcast and anything else you got going on before I cut you loose. Of course, Schism 206 is the YouTube channel, but the podcast is there too. Yeah, the podcast is just something I do for fun. <laughs> I don't really have a lot of time, so I just kind of talk with people here or there. Some of the people are maybe lesser known. Some are more bigger names. It's just who I happen to reach out with and we have something to talk about. So it's the Proud to be Profane podcast, a little esoteric joke. You know, we're all viewed as the profane. So uh, <laughs> waving the flag for that uh, in terms of how I look at the, the occult doctrines. And so. People can listen. I get. I think I got like 15 episodes now, 16 maybe. I got to upload a couple more in the next few weeks, and you've been on that before. And then I'm still working on the research. I'm coming up with a new project, and this is actually what's taking up most of my time. And I want to try to transition into my own site and members section because I put a lot of work into it. And the only way to sustain it is, you know, having some sort of monetary intervention, but I'm, I'm, putting it into a, a system that I think is will be worthwhile for people. And the next thing I'm going to look at is uh, the whole Templar 
Jesuit and, you know, Vatican infiltration thing that we talked about way at the beginning and really go into the esoteric viewpoints on that, but also history and try to throw in a bunch of different perspectives on how to look at things and maybe some misconceptions when people put an all encompassing label on something like a Jesuit or something like that. So this is all stuff that I feel compelled to do and I'm going to give it a shot and I don't have it coming to fruition right now, but in the future it should be. So, you know, I'll do readings here and there when I can, and then that will be coming up at some point. And whenever it does officially launch, maybe I can get back on the show and and talk about it a bit. (laughs) For sure. Membership sites seem like the move to make these days. Great talking to you again. I love the esoteric context. I think it's super important. And for me, it's really difficult. So I'm always impressed with your breakdowns. Keep it up. And until next time, take care, man. Yeah, thanks a lot, Greg. It's always fun to be here. All right, people. As DJ Khaled says so eloquently, another one. And one I rather liked. And maybe it sounds weird, but seeing the really strong synergy to all the symbolism and the signaling and the messages within the crypto sphere, that all does a lot more to make me confident in my skepticism than a lot of other maybe conventional approaches a person could take to getting there. Obviously, it's not a straightforward one, but it works for me, and I think a lot of people listening probably have that same mindset, or at least can understand why I say it. And it's just weird, right? If these were all random startups excited about a new tech market, they wouldn't be so esoteric and harken back to so many of the same symbols and themes we've talked about in other areas. So I think this is a great off-the-radar topic that is still relevant, and it's a great application of Michael's skills. Really creative for him to have done the esoteric guide to cryptocurrency. And if you only heard the first free hour, the second hour is pretty much all about his New World Order agenda astrological forecast, and I really enjoyed that too. We also threw in that esoteric analysis of QAnon, wanted that to be the last thing in the free show, but we just didn't get there in time, and to include it would have made the Plus show way too short. So sign up to hear about that, or go to the Schism 206 YouTube channel. You can dig into the same material there, but to elaborate on the Plus show a little bit, we got into that New World Order Agenda Forecast for 2018. The Saturn cycle of the Twin Towers, the Pluto cycle from the Declaration of Independence, the New World Order Pope and his riding of the astrological wave. We talked about the Source family, and then we actually kind of got into the Whore of Babylon versus the Virgin Mary, and I thought that was a useful conversation. We have guests who talk about these archetypes in different ways. There is a wide range of ideas over these two archetypes, and morality and what's good and bad and so I thought it was a fairly useful conversation and I think it's kind of interesting because I always felt like myself I was a contrarian like I always would go the other way from what authority was telling me or what my parents were telling me it was just like baked into my DNA but now with everything being so extreme it's like no I'm gonna stay in the middle I'm not gonna choose a side That's my rebellion. (laughs) I don't know. It seems weird. It feels weird. But I do find myself, instead of saying, is it A or B? It's like, well, I like a little A and B. 
but I'll never make up my mind so much on some of these things that I can't listen to someone make a counterpoint, which happens all the time. And then people write me like, I can't believe you're promoting this horror Babylon trash. I'm like, I'm not promoting anything but the exploration of ideas. And we also talked about, funny enough, that old Uncle Ben phrase, great power requires great responsibility. And that's another thing I get as the show has grown is don't you feel a responsibility for the size of your audience and the ideas presented on the show? And I do think that's how shows lose themselves and self-censor. It's one of the theories about why certain major, major podcasts aren't controversial anymore because that responsibility kind of got a hold of them. I like to pretend like I still only have 10 listeners and we're just going for it. It's the only mentality I can think of that would keep the show the same, keep the show in the realm of what got it popular. I don't know. Not about me. So either way, really enjoyed this episode. I think Mike has a real knack for this type of thing. Consider getting in touch with him for a reading if you want to dive into your own personal astrology. He's early enough in the game that I think you get a lot of bang for your buck. Eventually, supply and demand and all that's going to catch up, so get in now. His email will be in the show notes, but it is schism206 at use.startmail.com. That is schism206 at use.startmail.com. Tell him the Carlwood sent you. Learn about yourself. I think it's important. You can also find him on Twitter under that Schism206 name as well. But on the subject of astrology, if you've had a tough summer, if you felt like you had a short fuse with people or you saw more conflict than usual, you should be happy to know that that energy is winding down. Mercury retrograde ended last week. I don't know about you guys, but I feel a bit better already. And as far as I understand, there's actually several planets that are messing around with retrograde stuff right now. The zeitgeist seems to only really be focused on Mercury, but I have noticed a change from two weeks ago to today. And the more I pay attention, the more I think astrology has real merit. And that said, one more show coming at you for this month, a very wild ride with a new guest. And we also have the first THC joint session on Friday night, the 31st, 7 p.m. Pacific. I'm probably going to open the room at least 15 minutes early or so because I want to build up a little bench strength, you know, as they say in the sports. So keep an eye on Facebook, Twitter, the Plus site, wherever you think that link could be posted. It probably will be. Hop in a little before showtime and I will see you then. Big thanks again to Michael Joseph of the Schism 206 YouTube channel, my friend and yours. Until next time, your move, esoteric crypto advocates, blockchaining bastards, and sorcerers of the economic slave system 2.0, your fucking This is important, hear what I said. I'm trying to tell you. It's not paranoia, not in my head. It's just the hard truth. Knocked on your door while well, I still can To ask you a question Cause I know your head is still in the sand Don't be sheep to your slaughter for the rest of your life Oppressed, oppressed, but you're getting woke You say you don't want to be stressed until the day you die Tough luck, my friend